The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The following program contains topics particular to the LGBTQ community. Some discussions may contain mature themes. As such, listener discretion is advised. This is Pride Connection, sponsored by BlindLGBTPride.org, otherwise known as BPI, every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ACB Media One and shortly after on all your major podcast catchers. here alone this evening with Kevin Spiritus. You probably know him from Days of Our Lives. You might remember catching him in one of those Friday the 13th, or you may be a huge fan like we are of After Forever. Um, You might have also caught him on Broadway, but wherever you know Kevin from, you know he is a great conversationalist, and we are very thrilled to have him back here on Pride Connection. Welcome back, Kevin. Thanks, Anthony. Good to talk to you today. So let me th- let me congratulate you from Blind Pride International and Pride Connection audience on your daytime Emmy nomination. I guess that's um, a tiny bit bittersweet at the moment. Uh, well, yeah, it is. It's bittersweet because, yay, I got a nomination on Days of Our Lives, where I originally started my foray into daytime. And um, I was grateful to receive a, an Emmy nomination for my work as returning to Days of Our Lives and playing Craig Wesley. And the storyline, as you know, is Craig comes out of the closet late in life. This particular round with the nominations, I am in the category of, I guess it's outstanding daytime guest performer. For all those years, I was um, on the soap, on the canvas of Salem, as you say. Now, I was always putting myself up as a nominee for best supporting because that's where I fit into the category at that time. But returning, I didn't have that many uh, episodes or hours or however they look at it. And um, I'll take it any way I can, Um, but I'm very (laughs) grateful. I'm very proud of it. And the the bitter part of it is, um, of course, the writer's strike, which needs to be happening because we are fighting for our rights and we're I don't like to say fighting. I like to say rallying for our, um, our, our actual rights as we should be collecting for writers and actors and directors and anybody else. And this is all around the streaming platforms and around the AI thing that's going on these days, the artificial intelligence. Anyway, that's another conversation. That's another part of the story. But uh, they have pushed the Daytime Emmy Awards ceremony itself until after the strike because writers need to be hired for (laughs) the daytime ceremony 
And, you know, I said it's bittersweet because I know, you know, you have some writing um, credits to your name. <laughs> yes, yes. And you've worked very closely with writers and developed quite, um, quite long lasting friendships. So if anyone, you know, within our community understands why this is happening, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, social media. Oh, this just happened a few years ago. You know, these cranky writers need to get over it. no. They really do not need to get over it. They need to be paid the way they deserve to be paid. The industry has changed so drastically in 10 years that, you know. 10 years in the last minute it has changed. (laughs) I mean, I I, I don't joke about that. I mean, it is really, we are on a course that is taking us so fast. So point being is that anybody who has any information about this reasoning for striking uh, and they have it clear in their mind they cannot not see why we wouldn't be doing such a thing i mean it's really truly the most important thing right now we are getting executives who are getting a lot of money for their services their streaming services and they can't lift the creative person to a place of enjoying or surviving in the world of this art that's how i can look at it Anyway, back to the bittersweetness of it all. Um, <laughs> I, I stand in solidarity for everyone getting what's righted to them. And I also feel wonderful for all of the nominees in daytime. And I'm excited to the day when we can have that ceremony. So I can, fingers crossed, receive that award. <laughs> you you are definitely in there with some heavy hitters. Um, you know, I, there is definitely a lot of buzz saying that this category is between you and Allie Mills, who took the iconic role of Heather on General Hospital over from the great Robin Mattson um, mm-hmm. to a lot of fanfare. So you guys are the ones to watch, according to the industry. Uh, well, gosh, I hadn't even known that. Okay, well, good luck to all of us. And, um, <laughs> and Allie, I will pull that Emmy out of your cold, tight, dead body hands. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know your LGBTQ plus community, especially Pride Connection. The audience is definitely pulling for you. Well, let's let's journey back a little bit. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about your first turn as Dr. Craig Wesley? Um, what it was like to do the audition process and and when you finally landed on screen and and what it felt like to work every day like that. You'd had moderate success in film and and some other projects. This was the first time you took a basically like a five day a week job, right? Well, let me shine some light on that. When I first came to Los Angeles, I had toured with a chorus line and it came to Los Angeles. And after uh, Los Angeles, I decided to stay here in the city. And I figured Broadway will be back in Broadway. I'll be up, I'll be able to go to New York anytime I want. It's not going anywhere. Anytime I want. Listen to that. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I figured Broadway is still alive and well. I will choose to go back to New York. And if a Broadway show or something comes up, I can still go and do that at another time. But for me, I really wanted to break into film and television. That was a dream. And I guess about two years of my being here in Los Angeles, so it had to be around 84, end of 84, beginning of 85, I landed a role on a soap opera at that time called Rituals, which was a newly syndicated um, trial. They wanted to take... Um, that type of format that you see on Days of Our Lives and GH and all the others. And they wanted to have the syndicate services play it whenever they felt it was needed. So they could play it at 11 in the morning, three in the afternoon, 10 at night. It just was their 
filler content, sort of. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they uh, and they could play twice if they wanted to. And um, what we found was it was a, a good solid year of trying to find their market, and then it really didn't get the ratings it needed. And but by rituals, so um, that was my first foray into um, into that in that working process. And I was actually a young leading man at that time. And I was worked quite a lot. And in those days, you get to the set, you went and did a cold block, which was just blocking the scene for that morning, blocking the show that morning. You would go down to the dressing room, you would rehearse the blocking, you would do your makeup, you would get ready for blocking with cameras. And then they had you go and get makeup again after lunch and you get ready to go. And after lunch, you would do a dress with the cameras. So it was basically one more rehearsal before you would do the taping. And I remember, I remember thinking back then, I, and by the way, on Rituals, there were some great people like um, Kim Schreiner, Felice Sampler, Monty Markham, uh, and uh, Mary Beth Evans was on my show. Our darling Mary Beth Evans is now a huge star back on Days of Our Lives. Um, so anyway, we had this wonderful, wonderful cast and we were doing all these wonderful wild storylines and uh tom gallagher is a character i played and i just remember one day thinking god wouldn't it be amazing if we could just sort of like take the dress i think uh the producers were catching on that they could save a lot of time and what we ended up doing was we wouldn't even block so much in the morning as we would block during the day we'd get there and start blocking in front of the cameras and we'd start blocking in front of the cameras and then we do one quick, let's do it, let's do a quick real dress test and see if this works. All right, it's a bye, moving on. What? So then things started to shift and change. So I was getting into the daytime workout, if you will. That's what I remember being the heaviest handed time of learning the lines, getting the blogging, developing a very quick rapport with your fellow actors and directors. And um, sure enough, that was more of a daily nine to five every day of the week. I was back and forth to New York quite a bit. And in 1996, I got a call from Fran Bascom. I was here in Los Angeles. And Fran was the casting director. At that time, I'm looking at this gorgeous picture of her right now, the two of us. She's since passed away. But um, she, was a, she was a real theater person and a real theater fan of a fan of anybody who worked at the theater she just loved actors on stage she loved us and she had come to see a show that she had seen me in this little teeny tiny black box theater equity waiver show i had done it and she didn't stay after to say hello to me but she got information from someone at the door and she called me and she said fran is kevin I mean, <laughs> kevin is fran <laughs> I, I, uh, please i've been looking all over for you i couldn't even find your picture in the actor's directory and i said fran i can't afford it I, i'm sorry you know so she called me in the office the next day and she said i have this two-day role coming up i want to know if you'd like to do it i said are you kidding you're paying right and she laughed and she said of course here's the sides and we just sort of looked over them together she goes, oh this is great come in next week blah 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 you'll do the two days that's all she said that's all she did I didn't even realize that they were pushing Mike and Carrie together. Do you remember this storyline? Yes, I, I remember very vividly. <laughs> uh, and um, I don't know if they had it 
in their minds at this time that this might be able to work. But I went onto the set and I remember thinking, I'm going to come back here. There's something right about where I'm standing on this set with these people. I didn't get a lot of notes. I didn't get a lot of them. Um, hey, you need to move over here and, and don't say that liner. You say, say it quicker. None of that. No direction. I just sort of was like, let go on my own. And I remember feeling, this could be my set. Not like cocky, but just like, yeah, I like this. I, I like feel home feel. here. Yeah, I, It's exactly what it was. And I remember the feeling, the physical feeling I was having was that I was at such ease. I was able to breathe clearly and freely. Like, you know, I said, sometimes you get tense or you tight about some sort of idea or something. I was so at ease. I really can say that. And I know, you know, when you're playing poker, you have a tell. Um, mm -hmm. This is my tell to my body and to my being that I'm in the right place. In my history now, if I could look back, at different jobs, at different phone calls about receiving certain jobs in the industry, about meeting certain people. I know when I'm in that absolute channeling of free breath and I'm breathing and I'm not concentrated on being nervous or, oh my God, I, I got to get this job or I need the money. None of that. I'm just clear that when I'm breathing, I know when the phone rings and my agent says, you got an audition, blah, 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 click, hang up. I'm going to get that job. I just sort of know it. I just have a feeling. So I didn't have the feeling that I was going to come back as days of our lives, Craig Wesley, at that time. I just knew that I was at home here. And I thought, hmm, I like it. I like it a lot. That night, Fran calls me up at about 9 p.m. She says, Kevin, what did you do on the set today? I went, uh, I did my lines and blocking. I hope that's what you're asking me. And she said, oh my God, I just got off of the phone with the producer. He never calls me. He loved you. He thought you were absolutely amazing. Go back tomorrow and do the same thing. Okay. <laughs> so I did. I went back and um, I had fun with Mike uh, uh, Rourke, which uh, we had a lot of fun. He said, you are the Eddie Haskell of the scene, aren't you? And I remember laughing at that. Um, but we had some fun and did my second day and that was it. Bye-bye, see you later. And about seven months later, Fran calls me on the phone and says, Kevin, you're not gonna believe this, but they wanna bring you back for a three-year contract. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, they loved you. They found a way to write you in. So that began the journey of Dr. Craig Wesley on the days of our lives and um, working on their set now, how many years later into the process this had been, there was no blocking in the morning. There was no dress rehearsal. You got a call. Your call time was to meet on set, get your blocking for all of the scenes in that particular set up, like the kitchen or the dining room or the, where they call it, the, uh, the, the square. The square. Yeah. 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 And go get makeup and stand by. You're getting ready to tape. Your dress with the cameras would be just let's block it to let the cameras see what you're walking and you're talking about. And then they'd say, tape. And they could get, and they still do, get about two to three shows per person done in a day. Meaning, if I am going to have a scene with, say, Nancy, uh, and it's the storyline takes place in the kitchen and the living room. If those two sets are up 
and they are ready to be worked and they're lit, they will do all of the scenes, which may be four, maybe five, maybe two, but it may be in two of those shows and they'll do all of the scenes in order for that day of work, which will be covering two to three shows. It could be one show as well, but it's usually, they usually find a way to get all the scenes from the kitchen on show three and all the scenes from the kitchen in show six, seven, and eight in a day. Sometimes it was a lot of work. Sometimes it was, okay, that was easy. Boom. And that's how the world of daytime had changed. Some people still had cue cards. Some people still had monitors. That has all been now, as far as I know, at days, that has been um, discontinued. Yeah, it's been completely eradicated. Yes. And um, there are people like me who uh, I can pretty much, I'm pretty good at memorizing. Um, but if it was a big old term of doctor lingo, that stat, other than stat, I had to write it down <laughs> on my shoulder. The metacarpal my, tunnel okay. syndrome yeah. on the permascus of the meniscus. Thank, <laughs> yeah. you, thank you. All those tongue-tying words I'd put down on the folder and I'd just be able to look at them occasionally if I needed them. That was my daytime experience. And of course, when I went back, that was in the thick of post-COVID. Yes. So the world that I was used to had completely changed. There was no hanging out in the makeup room, you know, telling stories. There was no walking the halls um, without a mask on. And you definitely were not allowed on set unless you were going to take. So that being said, um, I will say the day where we had won the fifth Emmy for our first season of After Forever. I remember um, uh, Ron, uh, head writer of Days, coming up to me um, and congratulating me. And Michael had gone up to get some drinks and bring something back. And I was talking with Ron and he said three things. You guys did an amazing job. Congratulations. And I hope to see more of you. And that's it. Something like that. And more, more of after forever. Sure. We're going to write a second season, blah, blah, blah. But he took off and Michael returned and <laughs> I'll never forget this. Michael says, what, what did Ron say? Because, you know, Michael used to work, work on, as a writer as on a days writer. And I said, he just said congratulations, et cetera, et cetera. But um, Michael, I'm going to go back on that show and I'm going to come out as Craig Wesley. You watch. And he went, what? I said, I can't tell you how I know this. I can't tell you why I know this. I just felt this feeling come up. It was like that breath feeling I'm talking about. Mm. The awareness of what they had the opportunity to do. I just sort of like saw into the future real quickly. I don't know. That voiceless voice in your head. And I just went, they're going to bring me back. And he said, they will never bring you back. I mean, that show will never have Craig Wesley come out. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for us orchestrating it upstairs, wherever you are these days. I'm sure it happened. So let's let's go back to Craig, you know, in Salem round one. Um, a bit of a baddie. Definitely okay. a lot bit Maybe of a hottie. Um, and you got paired you know with quite a bit of talent to play with Mm -hmm. um before and and during and then came the magic pairing you and Pachika are are absolute magic on screen but that was a bit of a I don't want to call it controversial it was a surprising storyline for a lot of soap opera um, enthusiasts at the time I know YNR did a famous one as well around the same time um, and that usually happens on soaps, you know, somebody yeah. gets Alzheimer's and the other one, you know, and a couple months later, someone on another show is getting it. Right, right. 
when when you think back on that time period, first off, did you did you both really you know that's pre social media or at least the beginning of of getting on AOL and CompuServe and those things? Did you guys realize how um, endearing and and how popular the pairing was? You know, as an actor, I knew who Patricia was. I knew her work. I knew how funny she was, and. Maybe I would have learned a lesson by this too. I, I didn't know if I would ever be paired or cast opposite of a woman who looks how she looks. She's very pretty, beautiful face. And she had a little bit of size. And that was something that a lot of men do or do not go for. Uh, it wasn't my issue because first of all, the paper, the script said, this is your high school sweetheart. And you've stayed together since high school that's all i needed to go on and um you know there's that oh who's got that quote those who look through love with their eyes only see loss if the love were to end but those who see love through their spirit find love to be eternal and and i don't mean to get all you know woo woo here but i mean patrika and i liked each other we had fun together we laughed our asses off together and i took it as face value tom langan said you two have loved each other since high school now let's look at this in reality people who are high school sweethearts if you look at them 40 years ago they might be the head cheerleader they might be the football jock if you jump into their living room while they're watching TV and a beer in their hand, they don't look like that anymore. They have a couple of pounds. They may have a couple of extra rolls. That is not for me to decide how the character looks. And that was the lesson in that. And Patrick and I found that we were, and by the way, she's a great kisser. Just let me <laughs> say. Um, and so as <laughs> many people may or may not be familiar with my, leading man, Mitchell Anderson, who played Jason in After Forever, but he's a great kisser too. So, you know, apples and oranges. Um, <laughs> that said, uh, Patrick and I just sort of like, we showed up every day and we just found the fun and the work and we jumped in and it was a blessing that here at a midlife time where I was not working a lot, I get offered this role for two days. It turns into a three-year contract, turns into almost eight years of renewals and um, extending that contract. And I had a great time on that set. And, you know, and everyone you'll hear, oh my God, this day is so long. Can we just end it? Can we go home? You know, there's all that complaining. But you know, when you sign that contract, you know what you're signing up for. Yeah. And Patrick and I had a great kick-ass time. Now, um, when the head writers changed at the end of our tenure there, um, I was sad, but at the same time, I had been kind of, you know, aching to get out and do something new, some stage, some film and stuff. And then, of course, look what happens. I go back to New York. Um, I do a couple of little theater gigs and then I run into Michael. And I was then at a, again, I was then at a time where I wasn't being offered roles. I wasn't getting the calls to do as many roles as I might have dreamt about. And I thought with all of this digital, you know, web series stuff coming into play, I was watching a lot of my friends stand in a place of absolute freedom with not only 
being able to work, but saying what they wanted to say. And that was the key. And, and guess who it is who introduced me to this world? Patrika Darbo. <laughs> Patrika called me. She said, I'm coming to New York. I'm a presenter at the ISA Awards. You're going to be doing it with me. Get a nice suit. I went, what? 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 <laughs> what are you what are you getting me into and um she invited me to the isas and we presented awards at the indie series awards um and i was blown away at the amount of talent and artistry and craft that was being presented with this content that was up for awards i mean most of this content was if not as good, it was better than what I was seeing on TV and better than I was seeing on daytime and better. And I say that better, like, I mean, just like um, production values and the, the talent creating characters and directing and stories. And, oh, I remember, I, guess, I think it was that first one, the first ISA awards, um, <laughs> Sebastian Lacaz had created this show called Hustling. Mm-hmm. And he was, winning every award best directing best writing best uh, this and then hustling was sweeping that night and i knew who he was through the theater and uh the theater world i knew that i'd seen his work on stage he was a dancer turned actor and he was good and i remember rushing him in the hallway after the show that day uh, after uh, that award show and i said Hi, uh, Sebastian. My name is Kevin Spiritus. I'm an actor. He goes, I know who you are. I went, oh, okay, good. Um, <laughs> it's like, I just want you to know, I want to work with you someday, man. You're, that was fantastic. Those clips, everything. You're great. I want, that was my like guffaw. I was so fanboy. And um, he called me up and said, hey, I have an idea for season two. Let's meet for lunch. And he explained his character. And I ended up playing, I think I was the only not the only but one of the straight dudes in hustling yes. <laughs> but i had just started to think about you know i i might want to dip my toe into this pool of, of digital world and um i asked him i said so how did this story come about and he said well you know i wanted to act um i love food and um there's a whole world of of people who I know in different sects of the gay community, I wanted to bring them all together and have them all work together. And it was just certain something I was trying to put all into one pot and he did. And I said, this is great. So I, I started to think about what was personal to me in my life. And any show I'd seen on Oprah or any show I'd seen in these talk shows where these authors come out and they talk about their books and they talk about their stories. Every one of them was a personal journey that had some sort of awakening and some sort of life lesson. And I thought at that time, well, I'm about to be 50 and I am single and I'm a gay man looking for love in this, this particular world. What next? And I went, that is next. And that was my story. Now, when I met Michael and I crossed paths with him, we started talking about it. He was... <laughs> I said, Michael, n- nice to meet you. You know, um, hey, uh, we should maybe you know, write together. Are you working on anything? Is no, 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 I'm taking a break. I said, no, no, come on, let's do some digital's in. Come on, let's. We should work something. We're two, two X days of our lives. Peeps. Come on, we can create something. And he was really like, no, 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 it's okay. I said, I, I just want to do a story about gay men who are not thirty. And he looked at me like I had just smacked him. And 
card grabbed inside his brain and picked that out. He goes, I, what did Jesus say? And we laughed about it because he had been thinking about the same thing, but had not put it to words. And he was quite intrigued with what I had to say at that point. And we met for a couple of times. And um, at that particular moment, I had the idea of maybe doing eight or nine episodes and each of them would be a date that would eventually go wrong. And I would be stuck still looking for the right Mr. Right. And he wanted to have someone who on paper looked like I had everything going for me, uh, a good job, good friends, a nice apartment. He said, as a man gets older, you have to look at these things and say, why or why not do they fit into a relationship? And he just said, why, why aren't you in a relationship right now, Kevin? And I said, oh, come on, Michael, that's not fair. I mean, have you eaten with me? Come on. That's, you know, he joked about it. Um, and I said, it just hasn't happened yet. I mean, I have had relationships that have come in and out of my life. But as of right now, you know, about to turn 50, I was not um, was single. I just sort of nodded his head. And I said, and this is without knowing him very well. I said, what about you? Are you involved with anybody? And I did not even know if Michael was actually gay at that time. He kept everything very close to his chest, very, everything yes. very organized. And um, he said, well, I actually, uh, I lost the love of my life, a 15-year relationship about a year and a half ago. And I just looked at him and he said to this terrible cancer, I went, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, that must be awful. And um, there was a moment of silence. And I said, um, I, question, do, do you still talk to him? Because that's the immediate thing I go to. There's that other side of the invisible world that we don't live in and we do live in. And, you know, you get a, yeah. a voiceless voice all the time coming to you or, you know, you hear something in your head and you go, oh, I, I, I got to talk to that. Let me look at that. I said, yeah. you talk to him still? He said, yeah, I do. Like I just, again, grabbed inside his brain and pulled out that information. And I said, well, what do you think about? It doesn't have to be that particular diagnosis but if you're willing and it's not too much to bring that up maybe what if my character brian had lost his partner and we set up a story where we see the present where he's trying to deal with his life and he's trying to go on dates and and then the past would be flashbacks of this relationship so the person playing jason has a starring role as well and then what about conjuring up Jason in another realm, so to speak, where we could see Brian working through his grief? You know, you've shared on, on our previous conversations a lot about, and, and we spoke with Michael and, and what a, he was very generous. Um, yeah. He kept a lot, like you said, he kept a lot of his personal to the vest, but he was a very generous person. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so having that, do you find in your in your new writing relationship, do you find Michael-isms coming through you? Michael always comes through me. There's a quote, and I want to make sure I'm repeating it correctly. Sartre, Sartre wrote that people do not actually die until you stop speaking about them. Mm -hmm. And it's one of our cold openings, um, one of the voiceovers. Um, I have Michael with me most days. And when I am really disciplined about my meditation, about my work ethic and what I'm doing and 
I find when I'm off that ride, if I'm a little tilted, if I'm a little hungover, if I'm whatever that case is, I find that that's when I can hear it the most. Get up, get write a page, you know, go out there, make a phone call. That's when you get it. And I can get it from Michael. I can get it from anybody else who else might be of the past or who has left this world. It, it takes an instant for that communicationless talking, you know, no words again. It's a, it's a feeling. It's a, a very yeah. fast conversation that runs through your head. So that being said, I love what Michael offered to me. I, I really, I'm, I'm devastated that he's gone and he was just now getting his stride. I think there were stories and projects that were in him ready to be revealed to the world and expressed. And um, he, in this particular realm, did not get that opportunity, but that's, that's my mind. Maybe he was done. Who knows? Maybe that's why he said, I'm done. I'm going, but um, he will always be part of me. He'll always be reminding me on some level because that's my first foray into the world of writing and, and it taught me so much. And now I'm very clear when I see a story or I read something and I'll say, it has exactly what I want. It has exactly what I need because it arrests me the way Michael's writing and his work yeah. ethic arrested me. If I don't get arrested by something, if I'm not pulled or drawn to it, the next question I say is, can this be altered? So I will be pulled toward it. So I will have that, oh my God, I got to do this type feeling. That's the um, scale in which I, I choose things. So yeah, he's there. He's there a lot. Can you tease anything? Um, and will Prachika <laughs> make an appearance <laughs> in season three? Oh gosh. You know, um, okay. I'll just, I'll put the rumors to rest. Um, no. <laughs> here's, here's why. Here's, here's why. Patrick and I together conjure up a very specific vibe. energy, yes. uh, vibe. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, it's no different from when you put somebody in a role as a stunt cast, even if they're in one scene. Like, I think Oprah talked about it at one point. She wanted to be part of one movie that she absolutely was dying to be part of and she was already Oprah Winfrey now she was arrived and she um I can't remember the director said I can't put you in that role she said why and she she was told because no one will ever see you that way no no they said they're gonna see you in the role and go oh my god that's Oprah oh my and everything that comes along with oh my god that's Oprah the magazine yes. the tv show the work she's doing da, 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 that gets right in before you say, oh, what is she saying? And he said, I can't take people out of the movie and put them back in it. Now, it's a different story if Oprah was to say, you know, she's the lead actress. She's going to be from the whole thing. You get over that right away and then you can hear the story. You can see it happen. For Patrick and I, uh, it was, we could have found something. We could have created something. But what was true to Brian's journey it didn't have anything to do with Craig and Nancy. Yeah, and, and, I think the, that, and the vibe and the fun and the, yeah. yeah. Um, however, when there was talk about trying to get a celebrity to uh, fire me, uh, as in part season two, uh, the first person I went to was Hugh Jackman and he tried to work it out. And we were going to do this little thing about, you're firing me? 
yeah, you're not doing your job. Get out of here. I'm getting somewhere. You know, some, it was some like fun rule uh, and it played himself and it didn't have to be, oh my God, that's Hugh Jackman in a series with Kevin. And oh my God, didn't he understudy him and blah, blah, blah. No, that, but that's the only way we found that in this creative world that we had done with After Forever, we couldn't put anybody in a bad ilk because that would take them out of the story. Whereas when you introduce all of us as our characters, you took the ride already. And um, so uh, there'll be something else for Nancy and I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, See, folks, it's not just fans that do it. No, we, we do it. We, um, but she is my Nancy. That's the best thing about it. And yes. I think there's a beautiful moment that the writers in Days of Our Lives, let me go back to Days for a second. Yes, Craig came out. Yes, Craig had to face this decision of his life and, and risk losing everything to find his truth. And Yes, the thing I love about that storyline that I didn't touch on is it took me, Kevin, a long time to get here. And I don't mean to get here as an actor. I mean to get here as a person a gay man. who's comfortable in myself, in my yeah. life, in my, in my story. And, you know, uh, what does is, what is, uh, Mufasa say to Simba? Remember who you are. And for so many years, I tried not to look at who I was. So the thing that I love most about the Craig storyline coming out of the closet in such a late time in life is that not that I did that the same way, but that was most of my path. And I thought, isn't it just beautiful, this full circle moment with the storyline of Craig Wesley coming out and here I am coming into my own with After Forever and and meeting someone from Days of Our Lives who actually helped me with After Forever. All of that orchestrated is the beautiful moment. And then to be acknowledged by a nomination for that, that's just me. That's a wink from the universe saying, you are on the right track, kiddo. Don't get off of that track. Stay. Remember who you are. So that's about the days thing. And as far as After Forever, you know, Michael gave me great opportunity to play myself and he always said kevin i don't think that the world has yet seen you get to do your best work yet and he said i'm gonna that was his commitment in season one is to give you a story that would allow you to be your best self and to be to be my best self and to be my absolute hero in a story because i didn't get a lot of hero roles i didn't get a lot of um i got the villain i got the sidekick i once in a while got to play the bereaved but this was the, this was my entree into that world, and I'm, thank, I'm thankful for that. Brian Stone goes to therapy in season three. That's that's the. Ooh. That's there's um, a therapist who will be appearing in every episode. That has not happened since season one, where you know every co-star or character has a few episodes they sort of star in, and the story revolves around two of them with. Brian trying to work something out, but um, as Mitchell, uh, who plays Jason, we're the only two people who are in every episode, every episode. almost yeah. every scene of every episode. But uh, now I have a beautiful, wonderful therapist who is played by Linda Pearl, who she is just delicious. She just did a delicious role on General Hospital. Yes, I know. Yes, um, yes. Michael, Michael and I originally, I know what Michael's in my first dream of uh, having a therapist in the series, who it would be. And, you know, we wanted, and we talked to, we approached him. Uh, I went, I wanted 
Harvey Farson to be in that role because not just because of who he is uh, as, a, as an actor, but what he represents to the community. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have someone who speaks so honestly and truthfully about our community be that speaker of healing for Brian? And, you know, um, <laughs> we went to go see Harvey uh, do a play and it was just before the pandemic and we handed him a script and he said, oh, darling, I'll read it. <laughs> but he was so busy. He was so busy. And I appreciated him um, passing with his, with his love. Ken Page says it best because he, he was one of my go-tos uh, and we were going to do it with Ken and then scheduling took him away from it. And he goes, what do you say? Darling? It's nothing personal. It's the showbiz. You understand? It's either your role or it's not. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, Ken, you're being very kind. Um, don't worry about it." You know, because his schedule all of a sudden took off left, and ours was going right. And I have known Linda for years, and Linda and I are—we're very, very good for each other when it comes to supporting each other in the world of, of anything uh, psychological, uh, familial, and um, anything about you know aching and loving it from the heart, you know, relationships and everything we love doing in the craft. And I went to one of my producers who knows her and he said, are you going to, are you going to come to the party tomorrow night? I went, what party? I'm, I'm leaving for New York and tomorrow morning. He said, oh, Linda's back in town. I went, what? I, said, I thought Linda was away on tour in a thing that she was doing in Europe and she wasn't available. Mm. I called her immediately and said, hey, uh, are you back in town? Get yourself to New York. You're doing a role. And she did. She came to New York. So um, it was great. It was great to have her. And there's, there's some wonderful things in the storyline, too. It's not that Brian just helps, gets help on finding a way to, to handle the grief, but he also comes clean about some stories that hurt him very much and how he has to uh, make peace with that part of his life and remember Jason in a way that is not just up on a pedestal. We got some teasing of that in season two as well. Yeah, yeah, you did. And season, yeah. season three was already written at that time. So, um, you know, Michael's words and my, my little help with those words, um, our stories are told as is. As a matter of fact, oh, so I went back to see Michael in hospice. And I said, so um, I love you. And I'm not, I'm not here for any other reason but to support you and to be here with you as long as you want me to be here. But I need to say one thing. If I'm going to do season three, and you want season three to be with the scripts that we've read, done, I need you to sign this piece of paper and we'll talk later. <laughs> if I just, you know, he understand, he has to write, you know, his contract every year. So we did that. He, he said, how easy was that to say? I said, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So while we have Mike, uh, Michael on the brain, what do you think he would, so it's, you know, the run is wrapped, the storyline is done, and hopefully we will find a reason to see Dr. Craig again at some point in the future. But now that this version, this, you know, arc of, of Craig's story is done, um, and you got to say, I told you so, what do you think his response uh, would be? <laughs> well... I have to say um, his response would be one of two things and combined actually. And there's a couple of shows on television right now 
that um, we both knew. Michael and I have very similar tastes in certain places and other things he doesn't, he does not have time for. And, um, and I would say to him, well, I watch everything because I had like to know what's out there. The actor in me and the writer creative in me wants to know what's out there. And there was one show that we were talking about. And I said, am I the only gay man who has not been cast in this particular show? And it came out after Michael had died and I just could hear him laughing <laughs> and saying, you were saved, you were saved, you were saved. Uh, so that was uh, something that I think he would be in agreement with. I think Michael probably had something to do with the coming out storyline. And I, I say it like this, I felt when, Na when Patrika would call me up, all the time. She goes, Kevin, they are bringing back so-and-so and they're starting to talk about Craig and Nancy. You know we're going to come back on. You know that, don't you? And I said, yeah, that's probably the... When they start talking about a character on the canvas, you start to know, hmm, maybe they're coming. Maybe they're going to show up for a minute. You just have that idea. And uh, that would happen a couple of times. And I would say to her, and what are they going to have us do? Hold hands and say, oh, we love you, Chloe. No, they're going to bring me out. They're going to pull me out of the closet. You watch. And she goes, they will never do that. Kevin, you can't, they can't do it. It killed, it killed Craig and Nancy. I'd say, what else are they going to do with us? What else could they do with us? And there we were in 2019, up on stage as a collective storyline, Michael, me, all the cast, After Forever wins. And if I was in the audience and I was looking at me up there on stage, I go, wow, this is basically a huge coming out. Oh, wait a minute. If he's authentically standing in that place wouldn't that be amazing in the storyline that's how i would look at it as a creative so maybe that's how it got looked at from ron that night and you know uh when he saw the uh awards who knows but i think i you know knowing i i know ron fairly well knowing yeah. ron the, the way he is the night that he walked up to you it was already in his head he, oh, I, he and, will and, sit and, and, on storylines for years until the right moment comes along to tell them can I tell you? Yes. I agree with you. And I believe it was probably so much in his head, which is why I caught it. It was not spoken of. It was not mentioned. But I believe that's how strong it was. And he, I told him this story. He goes, Kevin, I was trying to put this storyline together for a long time. So, you know, it's yeah. out there in the ethers, whether you speak it or you say it or you, you know, you, it's there. And when I said that to Michael, I'm going to go back on the show. Like I just, it's like, it was code. It was, I read it in his mind, you know, it's my, but I really believe that. I really believe that. And I think if, if we can all, this is separate from the storylines. I think we all know everything. I think we all come from the same source. We yeah. all come from the same universe. Um, some people have an ability to quiet their mind and really hear what's up differently than other people. Some people are caught up in the noise, but when someone walks in a room and they're having a bad day, you know it without saying anything. Yeah. Right. Yep. Same thing. It's the same I always, thing. I always tell people in my life, throw open all the windows, throw open all the doors, and then just wait. Yes, that's you great. You need to know yes, it's going to come great. through one of those windows or those doors. But if you continue to look for it, it's only going to continue to play hide and seek. Well, all the windows and doors open, throw yourself back on the couch. You know, if you want a, an old fashioned or a you know, cup of yeah. coffee, it will come. I, absolutely. You know, look, it's 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 law of cause and effect. If you think of something, even if you're thinking of the thing that you don't want, 
that is the thing that constantly puts a vibe out like sonar with dolphins it just keeps going dee, 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 dee. i don't want that i don't want that i don't want that i don't want that and the thing that you don't want keeps showing up because that's how you're thinking about it i don't want that but the thing that you do want i want that i want that i want that it shows up if you put it out there law of attraction cause and effect so in a way it must feel like a complete full circle after forever became your your baby, your contribution to the world, but it, it kind of has to feel as somebody who, you know, lived life in this business, you know, was a sexy symbol for a lot of us um, and not being able to understand your full truth in the, in those early moments and now to come back and play it out. It, it, it has to feel full circle. And were there any beats that, you, that weren't told that you wish were told? So I reference Lion King because there's a moment when Simba runs away from the pride. Yes. And then he comes back as you know, the leader, fully grown. And he sings Akuna Matata and he's walking and he's walking and he's like singing and all of a sudden he's now got his full mane and he's now an adult man. And it's the moment in that transition from young cub to adult man. That's what I'd like to see the story. of. There are things that I'm very, very proud of that have become accomplished and successful dreams into reality. But I must say, um, those things that were not shown in the details of life are the things that I think most people, most people really can relate to. Most people, whether they're like the person who's telling the story, whether they're gay, they're straight, those things and the elements of loss, the elements of abuse, um, addictions, um, obsessions, all that is the stuff we don't see necessarily, but make and they become the base of the story that you're now telling as the adult. So in answer to your question, are there, yeah. I'd like to see some of those things work out in different people's lives. And they may not be in my storyline because I have absorbed them and dealt with them and created them. I think that you're getting a little bit of it in After Forever season three when it comes out where Brian, comes into the area of his life where he's like, okay, I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired. Everyone says I need therapy. I'm here at the therapist's office. Now what? I guess that answers the question, doesn't it? <laughs> I hope. <laughs> no, it sure does. And, you know, I don't even have to ask you to get philosophical because you're a very spiritual person and it comes through in, in all of our conversations. But, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now, especially here in our country where the tide seems to be turning backwards where we got to a plateau of, of acceptance and we moved quite rapidly forward as a community. And then we were still taking slow, long strides. And, you know, politically speaking, the whole world was upended, but our community world is, is upended. Having the journey of after forever and, and your personal journey kind of meeting and then having the experience of, of going back to days and playing out that character in an arc that that's so meaningful. What message would you give to guys out there and gals yeah. to our community, individuals, yeah. persons in our community? 
I look at the gays today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's so much more that is to be welcomed. And people don't understand this, but I believe you know at a very early age who you are. And it is the communications and it is the symbols and it is the world around you and the voice through the world around you that tells you you're either accepted or you're not accepted. And what the individual at a very early age does is, oh, well, my parents who represent the world, they're the mouthpiece to the world. They love me. So therefore I'm being loved and I hear them loving on me. So that means the world will love on me. If that makes sense, you then turn to the individual who is in a world who's, um, and this is not to knock my parents in any way, but I heard through their expressions and through their conversations about what it's like out there in that world, there might be a comment toward a, um, a very specific individual on a TV show or whatever it was. And I went, oh, I think I might be like that person. I can't be like that person. I've got to, you know, your parents are your mouthpiece to the world. And I yeah. think what you find is I have to please my family. I have to please my parents because if without my parents, I'll die, I'll get killed. I'll be, you know, whatever that it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate negative response. You as a little baby, you want the comfort, you want the love, you want the protection. I'm still working out stuff with my mom and dad. I'm, I'm the protector. They're the protector. They're the protector. I'm the protector. You know, it's all, it's all intermingled, but I will say this the world today shows or has begun to show acceptance in a greater way than I would have ever imagined or I would have ever known to imagine until I got to my age now. I look at these kids and I'm like, how great that they know who they are. And someone will say, well, how can you know if you're, if you're gay or how can you know if you're, you're a woman in a man's body or a man in a woman's body? I said, that is not for me to answer. But if somebody knows their heart, if somebody knows their truth, if somebody understands their feeling, that is the sign for us to listen and to take note. And, you know, thank you, Maya Angelou. We are more alike than we are alike, period. The end, or the beginning, I should say. That's it, man. People are people. If they don't fit into your box, okay, they don't fit into your box. You don't have to be with them. You don't have to hate them. You don't have to disqualify them. You don't have to um, kill them. Um, you just make, they're doing what they're doing over there on that side of the corner of their world and you're over here. Let it be. So to the person who is aware, God bless you. To the individual who knows your truth, find ways to express yourself and continue protecting yourself through it if you need to protect yourself. And um, I mean, I think I have to say at my age of just turning 50, it was, um, I was so impressed by so many people speaking their truth and speaking what was personal to them that it allowed me to step into the world of After Forever and write freely and to tell storylines freely and to be free with remembering my truth. I think that's 99.9% of the why, reason why After Forever did so well. Not that it's all about me, but I really think Michael was aware of what 
this was doing for both of us. And um, Michael had no problem with that. Michael was celebrating that. And uh, he said, you know, if we do a story like this, Kevin, people are going to, they're going to know everything about you. And I, I said, Michael, I had a manager once he used to say, Kevin, the only person who doesn't know you're gay is you. So if you know who you are, you know your truth, celebrate it the best you can. Can you tease any other work you're working on now? I have this show of new music that I've been wanting to do. It's, it's Peter Allen's music. And, um, and then there's also, um, I have in my, um, my life now, a new writing partner named Gregory Allen. He has come to me through several people in different times in my life. And this last time was, uh, he knows Jim Newman, who played Ron in After Forever season one and two. And uh, he had created a short that won a lot of attention in the film festival world uh, about hiding in the daylight and two gay couples who are hiding in plain daylight. And he has now written a full script with that. Uh, and he's been getting a lot of attention at that in the world of the screenwriting festivals. We start talking and I started to hear some of his ideas. I said, you know, let me, let me look at that idea. Let me, let me. So he had written a really great short story that was based on a, a true event, a train crash. And I have a, um, with him, I won't tell the whole gist of it, just so it won't go out there, but um, we have a very fun time travel story about something that happens around this train crash. It has you know, nothing to do with that train crash, but that train crash is the reason you have to get the love interest to understand, don't be on the train. Ah. And, um, and um, it's a gay thematic love story. Well, I would be remiss. One of our members, when I um, discussed it, I would be talking with you. Um, one of our, my, our members had um, a story. You were in one of the Friday the 13th. Um, Part seven. <laughs> <laughs> looking quite good at one point. Um, and oh, and what, what happened to another point? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Friday the yep. 13th. I can only guess. No, I, uh, I remember seeing the movie. Um, but apparently he would repeat and pause and repeat and pause and repeat and pause very much. And he wanted me to tell you that you have only gotten more adorable. Uh, so, Paul, I did it. <laughs> It'll go out live. <laughs> Kevin, you are free to respond back. <laughs> Why, well, thank you, Paul. Um, I'm very, very happy and blessed to sit in this body of molecules and the way they've been arranged. And I'm, I can't believe I'm 60. So, you know, I just. That's a damn good looking 60. <laughs> I am smart 60. Oh, Anthony, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I will end this by saying I can't wait for you to come back mid-season of season three so we can dish on some of the stuff that's already happened. And I can't wait for the Emmy Awards and whether or not they call your name for, for the guest support, for the guest performer, performer. you've yeah. already won. Thank you so much, Kevin. Anthony, thank you, my friend. Anytime. You've been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind Pride International, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Please check us out at blindlgbtpride.org. So